2 Peter chapter 3. As I said, next Sunday we're done with 2 Peter. And 1 and 2 Peter have been a great study. I've enjoyed so much teaching these two great passages of Scripture, or books, letters, epistles. An epistle is not an apostle's wife, for those of you that are wondering. Got a little slow this morning, okay? Epistle is not an apostle's wife. That's the joke, okay? All right? So let me say it again. Epistle is not an apostle's wife, right? Yeah, okay. Never mind. Okay. And that did seem like an insincere laugh coming from the front row. Uh, so uh, when the guilt when the guilt comes, you know, you know how to take care of that this morning. Let's start and read verse 8. It says, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like uh, a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. So that's how we get started, but I think it's good. Let me give you the outline first. Verse 8, God's perspective on time. We'll spend a few minutes on that. Quickly go into God's patience, the passing of heaven and earth. It's all going to pass away. Well, we, last week talked a lot about when, about when the order of events. Today we'll talk a little bit about the actual event itself, our personal conduct prompting the day of the Lord, which is an interesting, interesting topic, and promise of the new heaven and the new earth. So that's the outline, and I'll remind you of it as we go through it. So he begins by discussing God's time, God's time. Um, that's not our time. And he says, a day with the Lord, he's quoting uh, Psalm chapter 90, verse 4, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it's past and as a watch in the night. So, we, you know, we all have different views of time. I'm thinking a lot about that this week when we're out visiting Sally's mom. She's 92, she'll be 93 next month. And uh, so we were having a lot of discussion about time especially my wife and I. I'll get to that in a second. But our, t our, our perspective on time changes. Someone was asking me about school, uh, about kids, when do the kids go back to school and so on. Well, time for kids, the, the, the last two weeks in May for kids is the slowest, longest time in the world. Is it? Do you remember, does anybody remember besides me sitting in class the last two weeks uh, of May, and, and sitting there, and it just, it takes forever. As you get older, those times change a little bit, but it, you know, even when you're, uh, when you're uh, first starting to work, remember you get out of school and you're, you're first starting to, your first job, and you come and you get two weeks vacation. I mean, it seems like forever before the two-week vacation comes. And then when the two-week vacation or the one-week vacation or whatever you had comes, it goes like lightning. Uh, I remember taking our kids and we would go to, uh, we'd go to the beach. And when you're working in New York and living in New Jersey, going to the beach is a vacation. And we'd go, to the we'd go have a vacation and it seems like you get there and you turn around and you're packing and coming home. So... You know, it's funny how time is it, it, over different periods of your life. When we were in seeing uh, Sally's mom this week, 
she looked up, she said, what day is it anyway? And we said, well, it's, I think that was a Friday. It's Friday. She goes, it doesn't really matter. It's every day, you know, every, it doesn't matter what day it is. Her perspective of time is totally different than it was a few years ago. I also mentioned, when we got back in the car, I said, did you know this August today? Do you remember July? And we both, no, well, I don't remember July. It was like over. Then we began to talk about Sally time and Charlie time. We are on two different dimensions. Sally time is one and Charlie time is another. I mean, totally, totally, completely different time. And she's not here today, and I know she won't listen to the podcast, so I can say all this. <laughs> it's true. And I'll deny it because she still won't listen to the podcast. We're all going to email all the You're all going to email her. But you know this. If you know Sally, you know this, that Sally's time is different. If I say we're going to, you think I'd learn this after almost 40 years of marriage, I'd learn to say we're going to leave at a certain time. Well, that means nothing. It means nothing. It, you know, I said we're, we're going to leave at a quarter to nine on Sunday morning. I, I like to get here early. and I like to, I'm the opposite of her. I like to get here real, real early for absolutely no reason. It's just because, and then when I, once I get here, my time says, what are we going to do as soon as this is over? And we've got to make sure and do this on time so that we can get to the next event and get that event out of the way so we can get to the next event and get that out of the way. And I'm already, I said, oh, tomorrow I've got to do this and I must, so I'll have to get up at six and do this. And, and if I were to ask that of Sally, she would say, well, you know, what are you talking about? It may, that makes no sense. She's on a different dimension altogether, different dimension. That's why I say she's going to live to 150. And um, so we have different aspects of time. And God has a different aspect of time because God created time for our benefit. If you think about it, let me ask you a question. Is man immortal? Just a simple question. Is man immortal? How many of you say, yes, man is immortal? How, come on now. I didn't say qualifiers. Just, just say yes or no. How many of you say, no, man's not immortal? Okay. How many of you don't know and don't care and wish you'd go to another subject? Okay. Man is, man is immortal. Is man, is man eternal then? I would say this, and you say, you're just doing this to catch me. Exactly. Man, I would say, if you look in the Bible definition of immortality and eternality, that God is the only eternal one. Because he, why is God eternal and man not eternal? Because God had no beginning. God has no end, so he's eternal. Man is immortal because man had... The beginning, but we have no end. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, you, this life leads to another life in eternity. 
So we're eternal. So God is, he transcends time, doesn't he? Remember what the context of this is. What is the context? There were scoffers. What were the scoffers saying about the coming of Jesus? Do you remember from last week when we were talking? What were the scoffers saying? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? They were saying, what's the delay? Huh? Well, because they don't understand the eternality of God and how God deals with time. Listen, since a thousand years are as one day to the Lord, we cannot accuse him of delayed fulfillment of anything. Uh, in God's sight, the universe is, is really only a few days old. If a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. He's ne- Here's the thing he was trying to impress Peter, through Peter for the scoffers is that he's never late. He's never late. For example, let me give you a couple examples. God could have delivered Israel from the Egyptians just like that, right? But he took 80 years to train Moses to lead them. Jesus could have come as the Messiah, the promised Messiah, at any time. And yet, if you read Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it said that the Savior, instead of coming sooner, it says that He came when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. So, the, you know, Malachi, we have Malachi 400, in the Old Testament, 400 years later, the silent years, the dark years, 400 years later, Jesus comes. He, de- he wasn't delaying his coming when the fullness of time was come, when it met his plan. So Peter is saying to these scoffers and saying to us, hey, don't forget that God works in time, but he is not limited by time. All right? So they didn't understand his eternality. And in the next verse, we're going to find out that he didn't, they didn't understand his mercy. Look at verse, uh, verse 9. This is God's purpose, purposeful patience. The Lord isn't really being slow, or you could really say it here. The Lord isn't really, is not delaying his promise. The Lord's not being slow about his promise, isn't delaying his promise, as some people think. no. He is being patient for what? For your sake. He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. Some of your versions will have, He does not want any to what? Perish. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to what? Repent. So He wants everyone to have the opportunity to repent. So he says here, God is patient purposefully, and they're saying, well, why isn't he coming? Where, where is he? You said Jesus is coming again. You said it, and Jesus said it himself. He said, I will come again. Where is he? And this is just the first century, right? Jesus has only been dead, crucified, buried, and resurrected only about 30 years, 30 three, 34, 35 years after, or before this was written, and they're already saying, well, where's the promise of His coming? Where is He? 
And he said, well, God delays the coming of Christ and the judgment for one reason. Because he's long-suffering. Because he's long-suffering. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Yes. So he said he wants to give all sinners the opportunity to be saved. Now, instead of delay, what is happening is mercy. So there is a purpose in his patience. Read it again. God does not want anyone to perish. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to what? He wants everyone to what? Okay. So, now here all these guys that, are, that get in different camps, theological camps, theological sides, the theological Republicans and the theological Democrats. I won't say which is which. You probably can guess, but let me just, uh, there are some that say Jesus died for a few. And some say Jesus died for all. And some say only a few are going to be saved because they're the elect, which the Bible teaches that the elect are the ones who come to Christ. And they get in this argument about what, named after John Calvin, called Calvinism, getting this argument about uh, uh, all of these things about security and about works, salvation, and so on. And we're not going into that today. But I do want to talk a little bit about repentance. Because he's saying he's not, doesn't want anybody to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. The word repent is, is, has a very clear definition in Scripture, which we'll give you. It's a change of mind that results in a change of life. Change of mind that results in a change in direction, in behavior. That's what repentance is. He says he's not willing that any should perish, but that how many people should come to repentance? Look to your neighbor and say, all, all. How many? All. Some? No. He doesn't say he wants some people to repent. He's delaying because he wants all to repent. Now, 2 Corinthians 7.10. Look at this verse right here. For the kind of sorrow, this is what is repentance. God wants us to experience, leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Pretty good definition of repentance. Repentance is, is not regret or being sorry that you got caught. That's not repentance. And you don't, to be, to be honest with you, with the exception of this church and a few others that you may listen to on television or on the radio, you don't hear a lot of people preaching about repentance anymore. It's not a real happy subject for people to preach on repentance. And yet, that's what the coming of Christ is delayed for people coming to repentance. A lot of people feel that I repent when I get caught. Now, when I was, when I was a kid, uh, as all of you, and I'm sure most of you have many more things to confess than I would when I was a kid, but I had a few <laughs> things that I did, I confessed. And um, I know Phyllis brought in a picture. I found out now that her cousin went to high school with me. 
and brought in, she brought a picture of me in high school today. Uh, this is not a good thing. This is not, this is not making me happy. And I'm hoping that she does not really know me or remember me. But anyway, um, there was the one thing that I, I did try, as a lot of kids try in, in high school, and I, I felt like that it was necessary to try because my best friend convinced me that I was supposed to try and, and smoke cigarettes when I was in high school. Now, I know that surprises you guys, and that's such a shock that I would ever do that. I'm just telling you the nice stuff. So I, I remember... You know, and we had a paper route. You get more trouble when you're in the ninth grade and you have an early morning Dallas morning news paper route. And me and my buddy had a paper route and we got in all kind of meanness. And one of the things we got in trouble for, or that we thought was really cool, is that we'd smoke cigarettes when we, when we did the paper route. And I remember, though, one time that my father, God bless him in heaven. I, you know this already, Dad, so I'm not telling you anything new if, if the Lord's letting you in on this. Uh, he caught me smoking a cigarette. Oh, my soul. Oh, it was, it was like, it was your worst nightmare. And he caught me, and, you know, he said, oh, this is terrible, and I was punished duly, and my mother was crying. It was horrible. It was horrible. I hope you know about this, Mom, when you listen to the podcast later on. If you don't, if you don't I'm just making this story up for an illustration. But uh, I remember when I got caught, and my dad said, don't you ever do that again. I said, Dad, I'll never do it again. I said, I'm so sorry. That's terrible. Guess what? That was not repentance because the next day I was smoking cigarettes again with my friend. There was no change. Now, that's a silly, silly, you know, some of you, know, you rob banks, and that was a little different, so my mind was a little silly one. But the repentance, would, godly repentance, as he says right here, it results in salvation. It's not a sorry I've got caught. Who's got Acts 11, 18? Let me read two, have two verses read about the, um, who's got Acts 11, 18? I do. Okay, please read it, Scott. When the others heard this, all their objections were answered, and they began praising God. They said, God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of turning away from sin and receiving eternal life. Okay. God has given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sin. Who's got uh, 2 Timothy 2.25? Mike. <clears throat> Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Wow. That God will grant them repentance. Isn't that an interesting statement? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that, Dan, that, that, get, that repentance is a gift of God? What does that mean? I hope you're like me and scratching your head a little bit this week. I've, I've studied this before, but it, it still is an interesting thing about re repentance is a gift of God. That's what it says. He grant them, pray that God will grant them repentance. What do you think that means? Well, every good and perfect gift is from Him. Right, that's and that a is a perfect gift. gift. That's a good gift. All right. We can turn, you know, to Him. We can repent and turn to Him, His way. Right. That's right. Interesting. It's a gift of God. So there is, there, is a God, there is a worldly sorrow 
that does not lead to repentance. That's, that's what I would think if that's what this says here, that the, there is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and that that repentance is a gift from God. The word gift is grace. Granting means gift. God, God will grant them repentance. That God has given or granted the Gentiles a privilege of repenting of their sins. What, is it, what does it look like when God gives the gift of repentance? You've all had it. What is the gift of repentance? Well, I, I think it's a, it's a good thing to think about and to, and to meditate on, but I believe the, the Holy Spirit of God brings conviction of sin. The Bible says that's His ministry, right? The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. And the Lord gives us then, after we open our heart to that conviction, the gift of godly repentance, the ability to repent and to turn away, and to turn to Him. That Repentance, the word is very clear in Scripture. You're heading one way, because it is an act of volition. It's an act of the will. So you're heading one way, and God touches your heart, and He gives you the gift and ability to turn directions and head the other way. So in simple English, I believe that is the gift of repentance. So, anyway, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements, or some translate, does anybody have a different word than elements there? Does anybody have celestial bodies? Heavens. Heavens, okay. Heavens, celestial bodies. It's a, it could be the word for stars, actually. But I'm not smart enough to figure that out, but all the commentators all disagree over it. But the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. So this is the passing of heaven and earth on our little outline. Uh, he reaffirms the certainty here, Peter does, of the coming of the day of the Lord. Now, uh, he says that it comes as a thief in the night. Now, if you grew up in a church uh, similar to mine, the coming of Christ has always been equated with coming as a thief. Jesus will come as a thief in the night. Matter of fact, Jesus said in, in Matthew 24 and in Luke chapter 12, it'll be as, the coming of the Lord be as a thief in the night. And Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, and the verses following there, that he'll come as a thief in the night. My question is, and I've, I questioned this even as a, as a kid, and I was told to shut up, but, um, and I probably should because most of the stuff, you know, I have a cigarette in one lip, and uh, I'm asking Bible questions in the other. But uh, anyway, with the rapture of the church, is that what he's referring to when he refers to Jesus coming as a thief in the night? It's what I always heard when I was a kid. Is that what he's referring to here, the rapture of the church? It's coming as a thief in the night. He's saying here that it'll be uh, surprising and catastrophic. I don't think so either. I think the, the surprising and catastrophic event he's referring to is the culmination of all of this. And I don't want to split hairs, but I think what 
uh, I, I, I think the, the, coming, the, the rapture of the church is going to be surprising, <laughs> especially those who uh, are left behind. I don't know how that's explained, but I've heard a lot of really interesting comments of how that's explained. I, I don't know, and I don't really care. But here, but here is leading to his plan to establish new heaven. And that's right. That's right. The surprising and catastrophic event here is the new heavens, new earth, and the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. Comes as a th it'll come as a thief in the night. You study Matthew 24, same thing. You study uh, what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, same thing. The day of the Lord describes end-time events that begin after the rapture of the church and conclude with the beginning of eternity. Okay? Remember, we did all the study about the different days, the day of the Lord, the day of God, and went through all of you know, the day of judgment and went through all of the days. Well, the day of the Lord is pretty clear. It talks about it right here. Here's the Kenneth Wiest, who's a, who's a great, great, great Greek scholar, and I, I just uh, amazed at his writings, and I have several of his books, but I read his translations often. In verse 10, he says, In which the heavens with a rushing noise will be dissolved, and the elements being scorched will be dissolved, and the earth also and the works in it will be burned up. Also, I go back to some of the evangelists that I heard as a child. And they talked about this event being triggered by what? What does it sound like? Sounds like an atomic bomb. Now, I don't know if that's what it's going to be or not. But... The difference is... Man does not, you know, man doesn't have his hand on the button. God does. It's, it, God destroyed the earth by the flood. He brought the waters from the deep. He brought the waters from above and destroyed the earth in the flood. And someday the heavens and earth will pass away. And it will, maybe God uses an atomic bomb. I don't know. God doesn't have to. But he has his finger on the button. Anyway, let's go to verse 11. Verse 11. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? So here's our personal conduct. Peter's saying an expectant attitude ought to make a difference in our personal conduct. It's just like an expectant mother. Right? An expectant mother's conduct is different. Hopefully the mother, you know, that maybe is smoking and, and drinking a ton of alcohol and all kinds of, you know, and, and taking drugs and everything else and gets pregnant. Hopefully she stops to change her behavior. Hopefully. Because she's expecting this beautiful baby to come, doesn't want to harm this baby. It's the same kind of expectation for our Lord coming and establishing his kingdom, and establishing a new earth and a new heavens where eternity, where we will dwell in eternity. And he said this ought to cause us to live godly lives. Different, distinctive lives from those who don't have a hope. All right, go to verse 12. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. Now this is really good stuff. And... If you don't get anything else, I get this part. 
because this is, this is so interesting to me. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. This is, this is what makes prophecy practical. If you, you know, a lot of people go to these, and some of you have been, and you know what I'm talking about, go to these prophecy conventions. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. I mean, you can go and enjoy a prophecy convention um, and, or, or conference. And I've, I've been to prophecy conferences before, and I don't go anymore because I, I, just, I, I just don't. Um, I, I, as I said last week, I, I don't want to be on the planning committee anymore. I want to be on the welcoming committee. Um, so these, these uh, prophecy conferences, they talk about what's the most practical thing about prophecy. This is, it's in this verse. Hurrying it along, looking forward to the day of God, and hastening. How many of you have hastening in your Bible? You have hastening it along in your translation. All right. How many of you have hurry it along? You have something else? Speeding, speeding. speeding it along. All right. Looking forward to, anticipating, and then speeding it along. You mean we can speed up the coming of the day of the Lord? Well, let me talk about the way that word is used. It's used in five other places in the New Testament. Every time it means to speed, to hurry up, to hasten. The shepherds came with haste, Luke 2.16. Jesus told Zacchaeus to what? Make haste and come down, right? And then it said he made haste and came down. Same word. He hurried. Paul was in a hurry to be at Jerusalem. The Lord told Paul to make haste and get out of Jerusalem, Acts 22, verse 18. So how can we hasten the coming day of God? We have that opportunity. How do we do it? Because I don't know about you, but I think I'd like to hasten it. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. That's exactly how we hasten it. Because the sooner the church is completed, the sooner we go home. That's why we go to Mexico. We go and we help people and we bring them, help meet their physical needs. But that gives us a door and an opportunity to get the church completed. And Jesus said very clearly through Peter here that we need to be thinking about hurrying it along, hastening it. And, the, and as soon the day that last person says, I repent, I trust you as my Savior. Jesus says, that's it. The church is completed. He said, my mercy has gone on long enough. The church is completed. Let's go home. The apparent delay of the future is for one reason. It's meant to give people an opportunity to be saved. Verse 13, last verse we're going to study. The promise of new heaven and a new earth. But we, look, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth He has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. The renewed heaven will be the home of righteousness or the place where righteousness is at home. I'm going to read two things and then we'll be done. This guy named P.H. Davis, a great writer, said this, The problem contemporary followers of Jesus have is not that they are looking forward too much to the future world, but that they are not looking forward enough to it. We tend to conform our lifestyles to this present age, trying to live functionally with respect to it 
which is short-sighted since this age is passing away. Instead, 2 Peter exhorts us to have our eyes fixed on the coming age and to let that age determine our present lifestyle. It's a good way to say it. Charles Ryrie uh, wrote his book, his basic theology book. When our Lord returns, the cosmos kingdom of Satan will be replaced by the kingdom of Christ who will rule on this earth. Now that is a good summary of what happens in the future. The kingdom of Satan is replaced by the kingdom of Christ. In the meantime, God permits, now listen, God permits the rebellion to continue and the cosmos to flourish. His plan permits evil to run its course and His long-suffering permits many to come to the truth. So, we've got two facts and two questions. The two facts are, His plan permits evil to run its course. Why are you delaying? Why are you delaying? His plan permits evil to run its course. We're in a broken world, and it will run its course. His long-suffering, though, permits many to come to the truth. There are people, I believe, that we'll go see in October that will come to Jesus because his long-suffering is saying, you know what, those guys down in Acuna need to get saved unless they're being saved today and Jesus comes, you know, like tomorrow. And then two questions. Are you looking forward? It's not like are you looking, you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm looking forward to, I am looking forward to, I almost said that wrong. I am looking forward to Sally coming home on Tuesday. Uh, but when I say I'm looking forward to that means that I'm looking forward to it in that I'm looking ahead because I'm planning for it. So I'm going to make the bed and, and uh, wash the clothes and, uh, and uh, clean a little bit. Well, I probably won't clean a little bit, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make the bed and have everything ready. Why? Because I'm, I'm, I'm looking ahead. I'm looking forward to Tuesday when she walks in and said, oh, the bed's made. Like I've made it every day, you know. And fresh flowers. And fresh flowers uh, that, that Valerie's going to bring over. And, um, I have to. <laughs> okay. So I'm looking forward. In other words, don't look to this present age. Look forward. That's why what we drive is just not that important. That's why where we live is nice and comfortable and good, but it's just not that important. Because it's only in God's time, it, it's just, it's not even a drop. It's not even a grain of sand on the beach. Are we looking forward? And then are you living forward? Or am I living forward? Well, what a, what a thing to think about. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to make sure I'm living, uh, you know, getting everything. Here I go on my time again. I've got to do this Monday. I've got to do this Tuesday. I've got to go pick up Sally. Wednesday, I'm flying down to Harlingen because my son-in-law, who is a hunting guide at a ranch, is giving me a free hunt on Thursday. So I'm going down to that. I'm looking so forward to that. Flying back on Friday, hopefully with some big animal strapped to my back. But that's not living forward. That's just living for these few days we have here on earth. Living forward means, will it be a time for me to sit with my grandson who's leaving in three weeks or two weeks for 
college to sit with him and maybe share the same thing my father shared with me when I went to college from 1 Chronicles chapter 28. That's looking forward and living forward in light of his coming. Amen? Let's, let's hasten his return this week. Find someone. That's why we're having Anniversary Sunday. We want, to get, we want to inspire someone to come to Jesus Christ and let's finish the church. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, great text of Scripture today about your coming. Even so, as John said, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.